delighted to have online because we got a guy in Melbourne, Australia, Paul Taylor, resilience coach, like nutritionist, exercise physiologist, neuroscientist, PhD, scholar. And what I love, and he likes to keep this quiet, an ex-boxer, professional boxer. So Paul Taylor, how are you, sir? How's all in sunny Melbourne? I am very good, mate. All is good in sunny Melbourne. We now have the title of the most locked down city in the world. So we're in lockdown 6.3. So, <laughs> But mate, there is light at the end of the tunnel and they're easing restrictions in about two weeks. So nice. it's all good. Nice. And I heard, and you tell me if this is right or wrong, it's not even contemporary lockdowns. I think in the history of the planet, of human beings, civilizations, you've been the longest lockdown ever. Even in Longest. terms of, yeah, well, well, well. Look, you're in resilience, Paul. <laughs> That's it, exactly. Mate, I, I, as we said earlier, a lot of people get, get very antsy about it, but realistically, our grandparents had to go to war. We just have to not go out so much. It's not that hard. It is not. And look, you miss it. When you get out of lockdown, if it's any consolation, you get out of it, you'll miss it. I'm back at work. I'm literally on my lunch break. I couldn't even yeah. get enough time, you know. I'm back to work. So enjoy it, enjoy being at home. Enjoy. I've seen your Instagram. You've got a swimming pool. You barbecue. You look grand like. Please stay here. <laughs> Man, I can't. I can't complain because I got a nice house and we live close to the beach. So, but um, I am looking forward to getting out and going boogaloo. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, but look, a pleasure to have you here with us. As you know, I gave you a bit of context in the emails, yeah. and you know, we're not entrepreneurs. Really we take ourselves quite seriously as a, like any like as much as any society could, but like we're a big entrepreneurial society, actually the, the largest society in Europe in this bigger field. And oh wow, if, yeah, and a lot of like in years gone by, there's been a lot of you know we built up a lot of momentum, a lot of effort. I'm quite proud of this society. I've been involved. I've been in this society for four years. I've been a student for three. Go figure. If there's any officials <laughs> in the meeting, forget about it. Um, but. So it's great. And so everybody on this call will be interested in business, enterprise, kind of like outliers, maybe. They're, yeah. in, they're in courses now that might have a stereotypical path, but a lot of them are curious. So how do people go their own way? Um, is there alternatives to following the traditional path to go to school, you go to university, you get a job, you retire yeah. on time? Um, is there alternatives? And look, I, I, before the guys came on, I was giving a bit of context. I've seen you speak once. I, I was blown away by it. I'm delighted to have you here now again. And I'm going to try and shut up as much as I can today and get a bit of advice, wisdom, and guidance from Paul Taylor. And Paul, if you want to bring it in the entrepreneurial you know, direction and talk about what you've done in that space, or if there's any advice yeah. we'd have for college kids, the more we can get out of that, the better. So, sure. so Paul, tell us your story. How did you, where did you start and how did you end up where you are in Melbourne? Yeah, look, look, my story's pretty eclectic. It's not, it's not a standard one. So I'm, I'm, I'm ex-British military. So I joined. I'm from Northern Ireland, as you may guess. Um, mm -hmm. I'm from you a mixed marriage. Yes, indeed. And I'm from a mixed marriage, which in Northern Ireland has a different connotation than everywhere yes. else. But yes. so I ended up. I, I, I joined the British military because I, I wanted to do something a bit more exciting. So I, I ended up fl flying helicopters for a living. Um, for eight years. So I hunted submarines, did anti-submarine warfare. Then I did helicopter search and rescue. I did combat survival and resistance to interrogation training, which was all fun. But it's not standard. Um, uh, it's not a standard path to then becoming an entrepreneur. So no. I, when I left the military 2004, I had two years previously met a young Australian lady in Ecuador when I was backpacking. Uh, and I ended up, yeah, she dragged me kicking and screaming to Australia, <laughs> me, kicking and screaming the whole way. Oh, I'd say, so yeah, I, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, yeah, it was a tough, tough gig. But so I had done a, a, a master's degree in, in ex phys before I joined. And then I, I always knew I was going to leave after eight years. So I did a, another master's in nutrition because I was pretty passionate about the whole health and well-being. So I did that part time. So I left and I, I, I came to Australia and I set up as a physiologist and nutritionist. Um, okay. And then after a while, I, I started a registered training organization 
So it's kind of like TAFE. Um, I don't know what the equivalent is in Ireland, but we ran basically vocational education. So I certified personal trainers and fitness instructors. Okay. Um, so that, that was a big gig setting up a proper training organization. Then I, I created that BioAid software, which was used by gyms, um, which, was, which was a great little business. I started doing corporate speaking. I set up my own gym at one stage and I sold a gym. Then I started an online um, corporate wellness program. Uh, and now I've got another co corporate wellness program. So I've done a number of different things. Um, it's a bit of a non-standard path, I would say. Love that. Though. Love that. And the, the more entrepreneurial you are, the more non-conventional it should be. And like, Well, that, like that's you. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, that, I, I mean, that's it. It's really just about, um, uh, for me, a lot of people say follow your passion. For me, it's a little bit more succinct than that. For me, it's what are you curious about, right? Mm. That, that's the thing that I think that, 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 that is the big driver. If you're curious about something, then it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't feel like a chore and, and you're going to really be into it passionately. And, and then there's the potential for what the Japanese call Ikigai, um, okay. which I, I'm very, very fortunate to have Ikigai. Are you familiar with, with Ikigai I, at all? I'm not, I don't think. So it's this intersection of um, that which you love and um, that which you're good at, that which the world needs, and that which you can get paid for, right? I've seen, I've seen the Venn diagram. I, I didn't know yes. what it was called. I've seen the visual, and it's, it's perfect in its simplicity. And if you find that sweet spot in the middle, you obviously did. Uh, yeah, and if you find that sweet spot in the middle, it, it, it's just, it, it's so good for setting yourself up for your whole life, right? And, and there's not a lot of people who, who, who find that and who are fortunate enough. And a lot of people, unfortunately, get, you know, the, the little lights of the money and they chase the money and they're not really passionate about it. And, and man, I deal with so many people who have just burnt themselves out um, because they've been chasing money rather than what they're curious about. Yeah, and they say that, isn't it? When you do that level of work or you're, you're that intense work for other people's goals, that's stress. Yeah. Whereas if you're that focused and putting in that energy and your passion, you know, that's something different. That's intrinsic. You don't have to force it. And it's you wake up in the morning on a journey wanting to go. And I have a client um, that I was talking to recently and just said the same thing. It's just like he was searching for that, finding his thing. And that's mm. something that curious does it take proactivity do you think or is it something that you wait to stumble upon that's like finding of that area that you're curious to a level to build a career around yeah so, sorry what was the question again I, I missed the start of it does that take proactivity do you like did you sit down yeah. and with conscious effort try to find out the middle of your hand oh uh, look I, yeah and, and, and look at when i was in the forces and, um, you know, I decided that that I, afterwards I wanted to do something important. And look, look for me, there was there was um, there was a bit of a catalyst where um, eight mates of mine got killed in a helicopter crash and, okay. and two, two mate, two very good mates of mine. And and and, you know, it it, it was something that didn't need to have happened. Um, yeah. But I decided at that point that when I left the military, I was going to do something a bit more worthwhile because I was very lucky not to be in one of those helicopters. So when you get, you know, you kind of get a bit of a second bite at the cherry in a way. Yes. And I, I thought, I, I, I now need to do something that, um, that, that I'm passionate about that has an impact um, uh, on other people. And, and actually through that process, I created my own tombstone statement. Um, which nice. I have refined over the years. And, and my tombstone statement is military man turned educator to help others become better versions of themselves. So, so for me, you know, everything is aligned around that. And, 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 and you mentioned earlier on, you know, doing something you're passionate about, and it doesn't feel like a chore. I think the other thing that, that it, it, when you follow you, your own passion or what you're curious about or doing your own thing, uh, you can have something where it's congruent with your personal values. 
And that's one of the biggest stresses, like the people who are working for banks or are, you know, now working for Facebook and it's incongruent with their personal values. I mean, that creates untold amount of stress. But of course it does. And you're in the office and what you're being forced to do isn't in line with what you would consider ethically or morally so. Well, you're conflicted. Yeah. Yeah. The freedom of being able to choose what direction you think yourself, you take yourself and your business in, yeah, and amazing, amazing. And when you, what, how old were you, let's say, when you were coming out of the military? When you were, yeah. So, so look, I, I was reasonably long in the tooth. I didn't join the military till I was twenty-five because I'd done a degree and a master's, and I pissed off around the world for a year backpacking around South America and Asia and stuff like that. So I, I was reasonably late to join. And, and then, so I, when I left the military, uh, I was uh, 33 years old. Um, so not, not, not your typical starting entrepreneur, um, but I'd had a fair bit of life experience behind me at that stage. See, and I think there's some value in that. I think that there's, you're not too young um that you know you don't have money or life experience behind you as you mentioned and you have a bit of a head on you like you have a bit of education from the books and from life but you're also not too old that you have a lot of responsibilities or you've gone too far down a path that you knew you weren't going to be happy on in 10 years time you're you're an adult stepping into a world where you can create from and that's that takes confidence and kids don't have that so yeah so that that worked out in your favor i think and you said it was a then you landed in sunny australia yeah, so so then we went to Australia, but uh, you know the flip side of that is that 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 hunting submarines doesn't prepare you very well for being an entrepreneur. <laughs> so you know there's not much transferable skills going on. There. So um, you know I went and the first business I set up was 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 relatively straightforward. You know I set up as a a physiologist and nutritionist working one-on-one mostly with corporate clients. But I, I think my first real business um, was the registered training organization. And, and, and that, that was a real eye-opener. You know, it was, a, it was a massive learning journey around marketing, around understanding the numbers, around, you know, all of the compliance that we had because it's, you know, proper education all of that sort of stuff. So there were there were lots of learning lessons, but at the same time, it was exciting and it was fun. Awesome. And like, it's usually around this stage in the interview that I'm like, okay, so any hard lessons that you learned that maybe people in the audience might have to learn, they can learn to. I'm not even going to pretend anymore that I'm not on the same path as you, but 10 years behind. I'm not asking for anybody else in the room. I am asking <laughs> specifically to save Daniel some hardship. Because like, that's a business model that I'm going to be following. I want to set up a private education institution for BTW. I want to so tell me, yeah. what were the lessons so, you learned the hard way? If you had your time over again, that you wouldn't have made the same mistakes, what were the hard learnings? So probably one of the biggest one was actually a transferable lesson from the military, right? In the summary, military. <laughs> well, general stuff around, um, you know, officer training where they told us, no battle plan ever survives first contact with the enemy, right? And so no business plan will ever survive first contact with the real world, right? Okay, I think fair. that is the most important thing to understand because, you, you know, you've got, you've got this idea and you're very passionate about your idea and, and you know, it's like, yes, we're going to do this. And, and, and it's like, you know, have you ever seen a baby? Have you ever seen an ugly baby? The parents all always, all I know, but parents think their own babies are beautiful, right? Gorgeous. So we, we always think that our own babies are beautiful, right? So <laughs> I think that that was the, the, the one thing that has really come true is that, 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 that no battle plan will survive first contact. So you've got to be able to be psychologically flexible, to be flexible in your plan. Yes, you have a plan and you do all the business planning and all that great stuff, but having the, the, the ability to be flexible and to pivot quickly yeah. to test, test and learn, to feel fast. You know, I yes. suppose that's yeah. a lot of the stuff that they're teaching now, which they weren't teaching 10, 15 years ago, right? So I think that is really important. Um, I think a, another massive lesson for me, if you're going into business with someone, 
is to get a shareholders agreement um, yes. uh, uh, with the exit strategies because that first business that I started, I started with this guy. Uh, you know, we we were we'd sort of sort of become mates. We had complementary skills. We thought, yeah, we're just going to go in and we're going to nail this. We didn't create a shareholders plan, and it was all good for a year. And then he That's really, uh, yeah, and, and and he just wasn't he just wasn't pe- picking it up. He wasn't doing his shift. So I actually went to him and said, mate, this isn't working. Uh, we need to work it out. Um, I'll buy you out. And he went, nah, I don't want to be bought out. And I said, well, you buy me out. And he went, nah, and he just dug his heels in. So I actually had to go and get lawyers. And 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 I I was very lucky. They were brilliant lawyers, but I'd spent a bit of coin on it. Um, and yeah. they said, right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in and you're going to sack him. I'm like, I can't sack him. He's my business partner. And they said, <laughs> Yes, you can. So anyway, we went through these legal machinations. I went in, sat down with him and said, mate, you're sacked. And he's like, what? (laughs) And I gave him a letter and I said, take that to your lawyers. Um, And so, you know, there was a bit of wrangling and stuff like that, but I got, we got out of it. But I tell you what, if we had had a shareholders agreement with an exit strand, an, an exit strategy, sorry, it would have saved a lot of pain and, yeah. and a reasonable amount of money, right? And you know what? Yeah. And I, I don't know what relationship you have with that gentleman anymore, but it can also save friendships. You know, you can that's right. You can leave the business and have nothing personal if there's a co-founder agreement set up or a shareholder agreement set up initially. And guys, anybody on this talk with the incubator, they'll tell you all about it. But that co-founder agreement, I couldn't agree with more with the more with you because can't get messy with those. Uh, absolutely and it's like it's like a prenup right you, you don't go into it the, intending to separate yeah but yeah. it just it, it just means that if it does go awry there's a very clear pathway right um, uh-huh. and and so i'd set that up with 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 other businesses that i've done and and it's actually been been really helpful i think the the other thing to understand and i learned this in a in a later business the the, the, the corporate one that if you get investors and particularly VCs, they will want to have you by the balls, um, okay. right? Um, so uh, it's just understanding um, the, the agreement and what you're committing to if you're getting VC investment um, yeah. and, and understanding what your own exit strategy is and, and, and how you're going to get out if it all goes to ratchet. I think yeah. is is really important because it's you know it's great when you bring the VCs on they're going to bring me all this experience they got the money you know we're going to go down the road and that's great but they also want their pound of flesh right of so course. go in with your eyes wide open yeah and it's still something for me that I'm not sure how I feel about even sharing you know any sort of, of business you know it's just like there is a quote that like keeping 100% ownership of a profitable business, there's nothing like it. If you can stay bootstrapping or whatever, but eventually yeah. if you need to grow, you know, unless you Well, that's to- right. And it's it's always the trade-off that, that, that at some stage it becomes probably better to own a smaller piece of a bigger pie than to yeah. own the whole piece of a small pie. But, you know, some people do it, do it their own, they bootstrap it and they go the whole way and, and, and that's awesome um, mm. if you can. Um, and I think that probably the other thing I learned that the, the hard way is that that it can be it can be a pretty lonely thing running your own business, right? And it, it's not when 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 it's going well, but success doesn't have any orphans, right? And um, no. but when when it's not going particularly well, then then it's pretty hard, and you don't have the luxury of a nine to five job and coming home and switching off and switching off on the weekends and stuff like that. So, you know, you're in your own business, you, you are in it 24 seven, 365, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and as long as you go in with your eyes wide open, then then that's cool. And, and like I said, you know, if you're doing something you're passionate about, you're having an impact, that's kind of offsetting it, but yeah. it's just, it, it's not all glory when you're in oh, setting cool. up your own business, yeah. And Paul, were you ever tempted? Because what you said there now is really valid. You know, there's comfort in having a full-time job. And you can tell by my uniform, I have returned to a full-time employment for the time being at least. Yes. How were you ever tempted? Did it ever get so tough that you're like, fuck this. You could just hand me up to get a job. Or, you know, you were so qualified. And, yeah. you know, were you e- did you ever consider tapping out and going maybe an easier route? Um. No, I, I never considered 
going and working for someone else because I, I made a promise to myself when I left the military I was never going to work for anybody again. But, you know, I was a little bit, I was a little bit more mature. I had a little bit more, more, more money saved up. So, so, you know, my path was a little bit different, yeah. um, but, but look with lots of entrepreneurs, um, it, it, you know, if, if what I'm doing now stopped, I'd go and do something else. You know, the, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, tend yeah. to be ideas people and there's a, a shit heap of ideas and, and, and sometimes, <laughs> the, sometimes the problem, and this has been a problem with, with, with me is being focused on one thing. Cause I'm like a little, Oh, look at that over there. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, look at that over here. And so with that entrepreneurial spirit, there is the temptation to want to do this and that and the yeah, other thing yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and just corralling yourself and being focused um, can be the hardest thing, but also the most important thing. I get it. I get it. And just, we won't make the analogy or like, it's similar, not the same, but you were talking about getting married and a prenup, you know, when you're committed to one person or committed to one business, life is a hell of a lot easier. Is that right, Paul? That's right. Focus. That's it. So, exactly. <laughs> and tell me, tell me about this one woman. I mean, one business, one business. What is this business that you have now for? What's going on? What of all this evolution and where has everything got you? Tell me what the business looks like right now. I tell you all. Yeah. So, so, so now, now it's actually simpler. It's simpler, but it's going to start to become more complex. <laughs> so, I, I, I sold my registered training organization. You know, that was a success story. Got a, a reasonable amount of coin for it. I sold my gym as well. And I, I, I decided that, that I just wanted to um, really pair back and just focus on the corporate speaking, not have staff. You know, I had 17 staff at one stage. Whoa. And, and, and that, that, is, that becomes the frigging hardest thing is managing people, right? Yeah, I get it. And, and I would say to pe pe people, you know, another bit of advice um, is don't so much hire on talent, hire on character, because okay. you can't teach character, but you can teach people skills, right? Yeah. And, and just managing people, if you, you know, if you end up with people, it, it becomes the hardest part. And particularly when you're a small business, you kind of have a HR, you know, you're kind of doing it all yourself and yeah. so that'd be that so i decided after that you know i'm just going to simplify stuff uh i my corporate speaking business had just grown um incidentally through word of mouth because wow. i was always doing something else i never had the market right so i'm uh, people say to me how'd you get into not corporate speaking i'm like well it's pretty non-standard because i've never done any marketing ever in my corporate speaking it's all been just word of mouth yeah. um, and it got to the point where it was its own business and 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 so you know that that's been great um, um for an irishman to talk for a living it's freaking brilliant right so. <laughs> more to do it more to do it like and especially with you, Paul, like I was going to say there, I, I, I can't remember the, the term or the title that you gave it, but that Venn diagram where you find a passion. Icky guy. So, Icky guy. Yeah, Icky guy. So that part that you're organically, innately, you have the skills, that's speaking with you, man. It's just like you step on a stage and it's just, you're so comfortable, you're so composed, so confident, and you communicate in a manner that I, you know, it's it, it's rare. If there's seven and a half billion people on the planet, there's not many that can do that, Paul. So... And then also you've hit your passion. You're adding value to the world. Mm. You can pay for it. It keep going. Yeah, I know. And, and it's also been, and, and you know, I do the research and I, I read neuroscience journals and stuff like that for shits and giggles. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it, it's something that I'm really, so it doesn't feel like it's, it's a chore. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of my main stuff. And I have, I have an app that I run resilience, which I run and, and I've just got a couple of tech guys. Um, and, and it's just, it's really simple. So it's a simplified business, but it's, I, I'm just about to jump into another one, a, a joint venture with a bunch of guys. <laughs> Having got, said all of that stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I wasn't disappointed. Where was the nod, boy? I would have been over to you. Let's get it. Let's get this going. Tell us what's the new business. Go on, tell so us the, if, you can, the, if you can. The, the, yeah, look, the new business is is um, at training mental health coaches. Um, okay. So that's something I'm particularly passionate about. I'm doing it with some some guys in New Zealand who I've known for ten years. One of them's a professor. We we are very aligned. 
um, and, and we feel there's a real need. So we're, we're actually going to be training mental health coaches and, and then um, we're going to be doing some direct to consumer stuff around enhancing people's health span. Um, which is okay. yeah, slightly different to lifespan. Health span is you want to live to your 95, be out walking and doing heaps of stuff in your 95 and then go to bed and die in your sleep, right? Okay. And, I, and that's so in line. To, again, there was a few people in the audience before we were talking about it, but I'll say it again. So the, I got introduced to Paul Taylor by a job when I was working at Fitness First in Sydney, Australia, and they had this thing called the bio-age test. And it was like, chronologically, we are what age we are. So I'm 36. When I did your bio-age test, I was 33, but it told me I might have been 24, 25 with a bio-age based on fitness. Yeah. And, yes. you know, some kind of scientific, kind of um, clinical, or like, was it like a small-based laboratory test where I did like, you know, my lung capacity, et cetera, flexibility, yeah. things like that. But I just yeah, found it right, <clears throat> and, and then some tests in the gym and like the agility, strength, endurance, um, cardiovascular, just really impressive stuff. And it was so, the simplicity of it. And I can only imagine that that is hugely advantageous for new, this new business venture. Like that's, it's similar. The, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so BioAge is actually still going and, and it was probably my best business, but because it, 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 it was relatively successful and I was like doing lots of different things, it kind of sat in the corner and didn't get much love. And then I got a global deal with Fitness First and, and it still sat in the bloody corner. Um, but yeah, but like, it, does, yeah. does that does that revenue still roll into you? Yeah, well, look, look the, the 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 pandemic has had an impact um, because most gyms got shut, so the pandemic yeah. has killed it. So it's in hibernation. But you know, I created it ten years ago, and and it's been a massive revenue stream from for me over the the last ten years. And and I just created it because it, it was one of my clients said to me. Oh, look, you give me all this information about my VO2 max and my blood pressure cholesterol. And she was 55 year old woman. She said, Paul, I can see that this means lots to you. You're really passionate, but it doesn't mean anything to me. And, mm. and I went home and I thought about it and I thought, Jesus, she's right. I'm giving her information that that is important to me, but I'm not engaging her. And that's yes. when I went and I created BioAge really to engage people in it. And, and it ended up being super. I just created it for my clients. Then I sold it to a few exercise physiologists. Then I got a deal with Fitness First in, in Australia. Then I got a global deal with Fitness First and then other ones and stuff like that. So, uh, but it just sat in the corner and didn't get much attention. <laughs> But look, perfect, perfect. And I can get why it's more relatable when you put that age on it. Because like, I'm not going to lie, I was very happy saying there were people mm. there, but I was 33, but that told me I was 25. And vice versa, if I was 25, that told me my age was 33. That would put the shits on me. I'd be like, fuck, i got to sort it. Yes, people get the oh shit moment then. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So that's and and, and and And, the, you know, that's been a thing. And actually with, with, with me, I know that, if I had been more focused and if I was more focused now, I'd make more money. But, but actually for me, it's not all about the money. It's about the journey. And it's about, nice. you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering Catholic, right? I'm not religious. I think you get one shot and that's it. So I oh, want to max I just want to maximize my experiences. Right. Oh, so, and I'm happy to trade off a bit of money for that. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And I said that publicly as well. I was like, I'm doing this once. I'm going to do it as well as I can. If I'm, if I'm surprised or if I prove it wrong and I get another go, happy fucking day. But I'm not <laughs> That's right. It's all gravy. I'm, I'm like, no, we got to go again. But yeah, <laughs> give me the 80 to 100, but let me smash it. Um, awesome. 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 And like, it's so currently, right? So PhD, you've had to transfer into another university, continuing the studies whilst also being an entrepreneur. Now, I find that fascinating. And again, I've alluded to why I'm doing something similar. Yes. What value have you got from being both an academic and an entrepreneur? Or what have you learned yeah. from one that helps with the other? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, coming from academic to entrepreneur in the space that I'm in has been really useful because I, I actually call myself a pracademic. Yeah, um, so so I am interested in taking all of the academic research, which is really cool in different areas and kind of pulling it together and putting it into programs 
that are meaningful for it for for individuals because you'll everybody will have seen it you see academics you'll have professors who are talking about really cool cutting-edge research and they're boring as batshit right and they don't know how to translate it or make it meaningful for people but um, I think what that has really helped my speaking business, you know, getting the cutting edge research and, yes. and saying, well, here's what it means. Here's what it could, what you can do. And I, I just, you know, when I'm talking, as you know, I just, I hit people with more science and you could shake a stick up, but yeah, I also sure. tell stories. I tell stories because yeah. that's how the brain learns is through storytelling. Um, and, and so that's been really helpful going that way from yes. the academic world to the corporate world, you know, bio-aids, behavior change, research, engagement, all of, all of that, self-determination theory, bringing all of that in. And then maybe if we look at the other way, particularly with my PhD, I was um, um, particularly interested, uh, I'm only interested in doing research which has real world applicability, what we call ecological validity, right? Yeah. It does this have an impact in the real world. I'm not that interested in doing that mechanistic Cartesian break it down into its smallest components, all of that. I'm talk interested in this. We don't talk to yeah. No, 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 exactly. I, I'm interested in what works in the real world on real people. And and so that has kind of informed my PhD and, and the way that I want to go. So, and, and, you know, it's been brilliant R running my first experiment with a live military aircraft squadron in Australia for me was pretty awesome, right? 20 years closing the circle, but actually oh, wow. going in, going in and, and, and running resilience training and assessing it for serving military personnel who are under a lot of stress and pressure. You know, we had the bushfires over here, we yes. had the floods, then we had COVID, and these guys have been dealing with all that stuff and so highly, highly stressed. And then being able to go in and, and, and test a, a resilience um, strategy and see that it improved mood, enhanced resilience and reduced burnout was pretty awesome, right? Um, real world stuff. And um, so that I, I've enjoyed from that business perspective and pulling that into the, um, the research. Amazing, amazing. And so rewarding for a guy like you that- Oh, as you for said, sure. And you can bring yourself back to that 31 year old that would have been in the same boat and you're, you're, you're paying it back and helping a younger version of yourself, essentially. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's been, that, that, that's been pretty cool. Yeah, and I love what you're saying there about, you know, that academic background you have gives you that kind of authenticity. There's nobody questioning your credentials. That's but, right. But that inert, you know, or the innate this ability that you have to stand in, on a stage in a room and own it in front of hundreds or if not thousands of people and they are waiting for every word. And there's, that's a rare skill to have that you have both. There's many people that are entertainers or the people who go on and tell a story and there are mm. many professors, academics, you know, yeah. that, that, but there's very few that can do both. So again, I get that why well, that's advantageous. So what you're saying there about the research and, you know, you're helping these people, these military people in terms of resilience and dealing with stress and coping with tough times and the students in the room, in the Zoom mm. meeting, look, we, just, we were discussing beforehand, you know, being a student, an undergrad student during COVID times, shit crack. Um, mm. Being a university student in Trinity at the best times, I'm not going to say shit crack, but you have the pressures of exams, you have trying to formulate yeah. a plan for a career. The stress of the people in their young 20, or, or early 20s, you know, we're all there. What advice would you have for them? And from your research or from your life experience, or if you're talking to a 21 year old, what would you tell them in terms of resilience? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things, right? Um, one, and I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy. So the, the ancient Greek and Roman philosophers, the Stoics. Um, and, and the, you know, there was, there's one big thing Epictetus said yes. is, is that everything in your life is in two zones, right? Zone one is the stuff that's within your will or power thing. And it includes your belief systems, what you choose to be afraid of your thoughts, your behaviors, your actions, and how you choose to react to your circumstances. And um, zone two is everything else. The past, the future, what people think about you, what they say about you, global pandemics, 
zone two, right? And some people have said to me, what the hell would the stoic philosophers know about a global pandemic? Well, actually, when you look at the time of Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor and stoic philosopher, the Antonine plague went throughout the Roman empire that was at least a hundred times worse than COVID. Marcus Aurelius lost five children to the Antonine plague, right? Oh, wow. And so they did know about this stuff. And, and, and you know, when we think about the Stoics, the past and the future, it's actually really important because people get, they get um, mental health issues when they overly focus on the past and the future, right? So depression is a lamenting and a rumination on the past. Anxiety is this, this real stress and concern about the future. But in both cases, we bring either the past or the future into the present moment, right? Mm. And that's when it becomes an issue. And so the Stoics said that the key thing when you're faced with challenges is you must focus on that which you can control, zone one, and refuse to invest your energy in that which you can't control, which is zone two. And, and I think that's really important advice. With anything that's stressed and you go, fucking hell, is this zone one or is this zone two? Right? Yeah. I need to really focus on zone one, not on zone two. So that would be, be some advice. The, the other thing I would say right now and for your whole career of, of, a, of being an entrepreneur, and, and I know that I'm preaching to the converted when I'm talking to you, but self-care is really important. And when I say self-care, I'm not talking about fluffy bullshit of having some massage with all essential oils and that. I mean, making sure you're exercising every day because your brain function um, depends heavily on it and your resilience it depends heavily on your exercise, right? It is, it is the building block of resilience or one of the building blocks of resilience, like making sure you do not compromise on your sleep because if you, your sleep is screwed, it will drive depression, anxiety, and a whole host of other things. It'll make your thinking shit, your decision-making poor. It affects what you eat the next day, how much you move the next day. So getting that right and your nutrition right, I think is really important if you want to be a peak performer. And, and you know, that's the stuff that I, I say to all the corporates and I would say to the budding entrepreneurs and people who are doing that, that you need to make sure you get those three things squared away, right? Completely nice. nailed. And, and, and you look for, as well as that zone one and zone two, with, with other stuff, you, you, you just look for the silver lining in the bad shit right and and just you know that whole thing and what what do, i've got two mantras in my life number one is get comfortable with being uncomfortable and the other one is be a silver lining hunter right nice. you just sometimes you need to hunt for the silver lining but it's always there there's always a silver lining and 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 the one other thing that i would say to to that, that you know guys who are at uni and stuff like that is you don't have to have your whole fucking life mapped out in front of you, right? I did a degree in information management. It was no use to me whatsoever, right? It's only when I did my master's in sport and then I ended up going to the military and then I've gone and done this and that and the other thing. And there's a lot of young people that think that they need to have their lives mapped out. And I think social media doesn't help. So you see all these wanker influencers going, and you can be anything you want to be and all this horse shit. And people think that by the age of 22, if I'm not running a successful startup and an orphanage in Nepal, that I'm a failure. And, and you know, it's like your early 20s, there for going out, having fun, go to university, don't take it too seriously. Love it's that. master's level and beyond. That's when you really start to worry about life. Just do enough. Do enough to make sure you don't screw your life up. Agreed, agreed. And we were joking off camera before we started. At 22 years of age, I was fighting with the University of Limerick because they were after evicting me. I was talking about it, but I'm allowing me to continue my degree. I graduated at 25, Paul. There's no rush, lads. There's no rush. There's, There's no, no rush. rush. Oh, that's hilarious. I, yeah, but look, couldn't agree more. And that foundation of the self-care through lifestyle choices and making sure you're eating right, sleeping right, drinking out, getting enough hydration and that you're moving. And once you've laid that foundation, everything else becomes easier. That's my experience at least. Yeah, so, for sure. And just because so, you're a uni student doesn't mean you need to eat shit food. Simple as that. For sure. And like the habits that we develop in college, regardless, we're going to carry mm. them into our adult lives. And whether they're positive or negative, 
And yeah. there's a, you know, so just be conscious of that, guys. Without being like too preachy, slow it have the crack, yeah. but like just make sure this could be a head start and getting the stuff that as in when you're totally out and you're, you know, and myself and Paul's stage in life, that you'll be glad to have those lifestyles and habits developed because things just are easier at that stage. So the sooner you get out and, of it. And, and mate, just on that, and I agree. So I'm not preachy, you're not preachy, but we're passionate about this stuff. And and so I've always had a rule. If I hang one on and, and give it a nudge, which I have done in my life, I have a rule that in the morning I get up and I thrash myself with a, a high-intensity workout. And, no, and it's just a rule that I do not break because you can't have one night uh, and, 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 and turn into another bad day because that's yeah. often what happens with people, right? Don't yeah. write off the next day as well. After a big session, balance those books. And then everything's sweet. Yeah. And- you know, everything in moderation, including moderation. But that's right. Exactly. Oh, Oscar Wilde said that. He was, he was, he was around Trinity College before me, but I'm here now, so I'll love it. I love that quote. I love it. Love it, man. Love it. I live by it. Everything in moderation, including moderation. So when you want to go on a big one, go on a big one, but balance the yeah. books. That's right. Super fun. Super. So look, usually around this stage, now I open to the floor in terms of questions, sure. and I'm sure we have loads. We've had some coming in already, but while people are thinking and while a low messages come through, um, I'm going to ask you questions myself. So when, when I went to that talk in Sydney and I heard you speak, um, you mentioned regarding that lifestyle, but I know you went deep on the sleep habits and the sleep hygiene. So yes. I know from speaking with people that, you know, if they want to exercise and if they want to sign up to a class here in Trinity Sport, if they want to go run, they can. If they want to eat healthily, they might not enjoy it, but they have enough knowledge to go about doing that and they know drinking the two liters of water, okay, we can do that. But some yeah. of them will want to sleep and they will choose to go to bed and sleep for eight hours, and they can't. Any yeah. advice? Oh, the, massive advice, and, and, and it's hugely important, right? Sleep, and um, you speak to any world-class athlete, they'll tell you sleep is a weapon, right? Um, and and and, and here's, here's one, right? Because particularly, you know, you know the people who are hardest to convince around lifestyle are blokes, right? We all know that's because blokes have a shield of steel, right? So here's one for the blokes. Two nights bad sleep, your balls shrink. I kid you not, measurable Ah. changes in the size of your nuts after two nights bad sleep. And your testosterone resembles somebody, that of someone who's 10 years older, right? So is that is that a race, you know? Is it two nights, two balls, one night, one ball? <laughs> 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 that, 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 that's probably that's probably a good master's thesis for someone actually. So 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 quickly a uh, couple couple of things. Number one, caffeine, right? It's a brain stimulant. They give it to fighter pilots in times of war, right? So because it's a stimulant, it's got a half-life of six hours. That means 12 hours after that caffeine. That cup of coffee, you've got a quarter of it in your system. So if you're having three, four exposures, and it's not just coffee, it's energy drinks, diet drinks, that sort of stuff. So I say to people, try to be done caffeine by midday and no more than three exposures, right? The other one is is alcohol. And and I like a tipple, but I make sure that I have at least three alcohol-free days a week because alcohol impairs um, REM sleep, you know, that rapid eye movement. And it turns out that's hugely important for your mental health, right? You deprive animals or humans of REM sleep, they develop anxiety really, really quickly. Because what happens at night, your brain replays the day's events it's deciding what to store um, and it's emotional memories that get stored, but it's the only time in your life that the brain shuts down norepinephrine, which is a stress hormone. So you remember those experiences in the absence of stress hormone and your brain stores that memory as slightly less traumatic. So what we're saying now is that every night when you're in REM sleep, your brain goes through therapy. So if you're not getting REM sleep because you're drinking alcohol more than a couple of drinks or you're smoking weed, um, which I did at university and stuff like that, but it impacts on REM sleep. So that that's that. The other thing I'd say, routine. And we mess with our circadian rhythms by changing our sleep time and our wake time, right? So staying up late, watching a box set, next night you're tired, you go to bed early, then it's Thursday night, you know, you're out, you kick the arse out of it, then you sleep in on the week. 
And it's shocking for your circadian rhythm. So try to get as much as possible. And, and look, don't shoot the messenger, guys, but try to go to bed at the same time every night. But even more important, get up at the same time every morning, right? And then one other bit of advice that I have um, is, is that your brain needs to wind down, right? You can't just, the worst thing that you can do is either be working and then shut your laptop and go to bed or being watching a, a like a really engaging movie or box set or even worse, be on social media just before you go to bed. That combination of blue light and cognitively stimulating activities massively interferes with sleep. So I say to people, right, 30 minutes before you go to bed, shut down all devices, do some breathing, do some yoga, do some meditation, pray if that's your thing, or just read a friggin' novel. When you read a novel, your brain has to go on a journey and, and it's, a, it's a mindful experience, right? So turn off all your devices. And, and, and the last bit is that your brain needs to know that your bedroom is a sleep sanctuary. It's where you go to sleep. And if you're lucky, you get a bit of oofty magoofty every <laughs> now and then, right? It's not for televisions. It's not for laptops. And it's not for mobile frigging phones, and most people will have a mobile phone in their bedroom and you're all going, then it's my alarm clock, isn't it? <laughs> Buy a $10 alarm clock, you tight arse. Because <laughs> what we know is that if your phone is beside your bed, your brain is hypervigilant, right? Something yeah. called the default mode network. It's like the background chatter of your brain. The Dalai Lama, when he found out about this, he works with neuroscientists every year. They told him about the default mode network and he went, ah, you mean monkey mind. Yabba, 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 right? So he calls it monkey mind and monkey mind is our issue. People who are overthinkers, anxious people, you've got an overactive default mode network. Having your phone beside your bed is a shocker. Like teenagers should bring a device into their bedroom, sleep on average an hour less than their peers and have doubled the risk of mental health issues, right? So get your goddamn phone out of your room. Buy a $10 alarm clock. If you can't afford it, I'll buy you one. Nice. And I'll pay half, Paul. I'll pay half. There you go. I actually gave one of these talks two weeks ago from my bedroom and mid live stream, my alarm clock started going. I was like, fuck, I was like, it's 12 hours too early. So I was like, I'm sorry. All right, continue with the chat. Uh, but, anyway, but you had an alarm clock. That's the point. And do you know why? Because I saw Paul Taylor speak three years ago or two and a half years ago in Sydney. And that's why. That's why. And wow. all those things that you just said there, I was in the back of that auditorium in the Sydney Convention Center. I was taking notes and it's been life changing for me. Boom. Two and a half years ago, guys. And if anybody else in the room wanted to start right now, in two and a half years' time, look, sleep at 10, up at six, all these things, alarm clocks, phones, all devices off at nine. Look, and it was Paul Taylor. So, look, there's such value in that. We do have a couple of questions that are coming in. So, nope. you know, I'll open to the floor. Um, so, what advice do you have for early stage startups trying to get their first clients? So you said you weren't a practitioner of conventional marketing at the time, but if you wanted, if there's a startup and you had a startup right now, how would you go about getting your first client data? Yeah, look, look often, and, and, and this is what I did. I, I, I First clients, I, I did it for free. Um, so basically go out, offer your service from free, for free if they give you feedback, right? Um, because I think that is really critical. And too many people... I've seen it over and over again is that, is that they get something they're really passionate about and then they just go all out on it. And that's that whole test and learn. Just go get some real life, ecologically valid feedback from live people. Just do it for free, suck up the costs, but make sure you really get quality feedback from them. That's what I would say. And then, you know, test and learn, tweak, blah, blah, blah. That sort of stuff I think is, is really, really important. And 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 because your first people, it, it, if they understand that, that, that hey, I, I, I'm giving you this for free because I like some feedback, they're, they're much more tolerant of little bugs and flaws and that sort of stuff. So you can refine that process with those guys and get some really quality feedback around it, right? And, and, and doing it for free and, and then, you know, try and get local paper to do something on it, right? Get a little bit of local exposure, that sort of stuff. Well, actually, that's a bit old hat these days. Social media is kind of the way. So get yourself a social media whiz, probably. Nice, nice. And look, solid advice there. And 
especially that like you, you, you got it you do this stuff for free at the start and eventually someone will pay you and you'll be good by the time they pay you from the experience that's right like that. exactly. so we had a question coming in earlier that i saw and i don't know whether it was at me or at you because you were mentioning at the time that you weren't too good at it uh, but you may have learned how would you recommend to others to focus on particular tasks is there anything that now you've developed since your self-awareness told you that you weren't really good at that yeah one thing at a time is there anything that you do now that's helped yeah yeah so 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 what i do now like is is every day and i'm still a pen and paper guy right yeah, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm right on my list but the me key too, thing there you go eat the frog Eat the frog. We need context, Paul. People are going to be eating frogs tonight. These are college students. Give us context. <laughs> now, I would say, um, um, so eating the frog is about doing the really hard, important thing, right? Because what we tend to do is that we do our list, and then because because the you know, particularly when you get a lot of shit going on, your brain it doesn't like to do hard stuff. So what it'll do is you it'll want to do the easy stuff, right? And work like activities such as emails, yes. clearing your email box yes. and that stuff. And we tend to put off the hard stuff to later. So um, a great bit of advice is, is get up in the morning. And, and look, ideally, if you can do this before you turn on your devices, before you switch on your email and get other people's issues into your life, is do the three most important things first, right? Do it early in the morning when you got good energy. I like getting up early in the morning before the family and actually doing some some deep work first. Nice. Um, get up and, and eat the frog first. So that motto is just eat the frog, eat the goddamn frog. Love it, love it. And you mentioned deep work there. The book Cal Newport's Deep Work has changed my yeah. life, you know, and good putting those yeah. two hour blocks and focusing on one particular task at a time. Um, yeah, and look, the other thing that, that I would say is to to short little bursts, like the Pomodoro technique, is is really awesome. And I don't use it consistently, but I, I I'll use it occasionally when I remember. And, and but I what I will do is is that at every half an hour or whatever, I just get up and I've got kettlebells and club bells sitting around me, and just do a couple of minutes of vigorous activity, right? Um, because it's just you get blood flow and oxygen back to the brain. The worst thing you can do is sit on your arse for prolonged periods of time. you just got to do a bit of deep work, get up, do some exercise, drink some water, you know, do something interesting for five minutes, then get back into your work. Solid, solid, solid advice. And the busier you are, the more useful that kind of Pomodoro technique. Is. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I find that now is like two, if I get a two hour window, I will do my PhD stuff for the world out and then I can continue with the more distracting work that yes. we do time to time. So look, there's and, no and, and part of the issue that Daniel is that, that there's so much more distractions than there were yes. when I was going, going through uni and stuff like that. So it, and, and nobody's got the rule book. Um, around how to do it, but it it, it it makes life friggin' difficult, and all the social yes. media, you, you know, no, nobody knows this stuff. So, it, but it's really about trying to minimize those distractions, particularly when you got an important stuff on, and when you're eating the frog, just turn all that shit off. The world is not going to stop if you don't check Instagram for two hours. Oh, mate, all about it, all about it, and that two hours will be the most productive part of your day. You'd be so proud. You hit the pillow that evening. It's like I got that done. Whereas if you're looking at every single distraction and responding to every single WhatsApp, look, you're, you're, there's no way you're going to get that one back. Another question, Paul, your qualifications and education in neuroscience, has yes. that helped you in the business world? In whether, you know, your, how has that neuroscience affected your entrepreneurial journey in a positive way? Uh, um, look, it, it massively helped my corporate speaking, particularly, right? Because... And people are very interested in their own brains, right? When you're talking yeah, yeah, yeah. to you take them on a journey through their own brain, then it, it's really interesting. But for me, in, in my personal life and as an entrepreneur, um, understanding how the brain works and understanding that 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 brain cognitive performance um, is really important. Understanding how the brain reacts to stress, all of that, and that's where you know where we got back to where we talked about earlier: the exercise, the sleep hygiene, the nutrition, absolutely fundamental building blocks. And look, I can now say unequivocally. 
and without any judgment whatsoever, that if people are not currently engaging in regular physical activity, at least some of which is vigorous, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that your brain is functioning optimally. No chance, just none. Awesome. I love hearing that, Paul. And I have people in here coming into Trinity Sport every single day. And when it comes to the exam time, you don't see them. Or when the, when the crunch really hits with assignments, they're not exercising anymore. I was like, it breaks my heart because I'm like, uh, this is when you need it the most. And, and guys, so just on this, so my little girl's 15. She's getting really into her study. And so saying, like, like um, when she's studying um, or, or doing school, early morning, just a short bit of exercise. But particularly when she's studying, I get her to do a period of study and then do a couple of minutes of high intensity exercise. Like my 15 year old girl throws kettlebells around, which is really quite cool. But what we know is that adrenaline encodes memory, right? So if you do a block of study and then you do um, a short burst of exercise or even some Wim Hof breathing type stuff, right? That controlled hyperventilation. Both of those increase adrenaline and adrenaline encodes memory, right? So you are much more likely to remember stuff if you exercise just at the end of it. And it doesn't have to be long, right? And, and the other little tip that I would give people is when you're studying coming up to exams, get a little oil burner. And so I've worked with um, quite a lot of, uh, elite, I, I do karate now and I work with some of the elite karate athletes and, and one of the guys who went to the Olympics and, 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 and the smell and how smell um, has an, a massive impact on your brain, right? So if you think about it, you'll walk down the street, you'll smell something and you'll get a memory of when you were a kid, right? That just pops up because smell has a huge impact on, on learning and memory. And there's probably good evolutionary reasons for that. But so when my little girl's studying is I get her to burn a particular oil as she's studying, so she's smelling it. And then when she sleeps at night, she burns the same oil. Because when you're sleeping, that is getting into the brain and encoding the memory, right? And it's a pretty cool little trick. Lads, this is fucking gold dust. Like, this is like magic stuff, you know? And you're gonna have such a competitive advantage. So it's like, I wish I was Paul Taylor's daughter. Life would be easier. Lads, it's gold, it's gold. Take this stuff, write it down. This whole evening has been recorded. I am going to share this with Paul's permission everywhere that I can because it makes your life easier. And I know, and I can say hand on my heart, unequivocally, I can say that my life has improved in the two and a half years since listening to Paul Taylor's advice. So if there's anybody else in the room that wants the same sort of effect on their lives, really go deep on paying attention to what was said this evening. And Paul, look, for me only personally, I'm, I'm so... I don't know what the word is. I, I feel privileged, honored that you're here, grateful, there's a lot of appreciation. Um, you came out of your way. <laughs> the guy in Melbourne right now, what I it's like, you know, this guy kind of got logged in at 5.30 a.m. to be here with us today. So if this was a full auditorium now, I'd have everybody standing and giving applause. But for me and representing the society, I just want to say thanks for the bottom thanks. of my And I hope to see you again um, physically, but regardless, we're going to have more chats like this because it's it's at a different level, Paul. You're an anomaly and, and you're amazing. So thanks for that. Right, mate. Thank you, mate. And um, it's all right. I, I, you know, I would get that balance, all that lovely stuff you said about me. I'll, I'll go into my room later on. My wife will go pick up your fucking socks. <laughs> bring me back down the earth. And she's fucking right. She's fucking right. Right, Paul. I'll leave you go. It's still early. You can enjoy your breakfast, barbecue, whatever you do out there. And... Look, stay safe, stay healthy, and look, hopefully, I'll see you again soon. Yeah, I'll, well, send you through, I'll, I'll send you through a couple of links for people for if yes. they want some further reading and stuff like that. And, um, and a, that. A, a link to my podcast and some stuff on my website. There's a, an eight-minute workout that people can do that's all body weight and stuff like that. So I'll flick you through some links and you can share it with the guys. Perfect, Willow. And even just before we finish, if they want to contact you directly, is it the website? What's the best place to find you? But it's pro pro probably LinkedIn um, okay. uh, would be the best place to, to, to contact me directly or on the website, um, Mind, Body, Brain, Performance. Um, and so I'll send through those links. Um, and uh, yeah, people can more, more than happy to, to have a chat. And we'll share it everywhere. And guys, 
if if there's one thing to be taken from the very start of this talk, Paul Taylor told me, if you don't ask, you don't get. I asked this year, somebody else asked you a question, you will get a response. And, and hey, well, I will I actually on that point, just before we go, when I finished the military, I, I was doing um, resettlement. Right. And, and as an officer, you get you go, get to go and see a, a retired four ring captain who's got lots of tentacles. Right. Uh, and so we sat down and he said, so, you know, what, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I'm an exercise physiologist. I just finished my master's in nutrition. I've done as part of my resettlement at American College of Sports Medicine course. I'm moving to Australia next month and I'm setting up as a nutritionist and a neuroscientist, uh, uh, sorry, an exercise physiologist. And he went, ah, he says, I don't think my tentacles extend into the fitness world in Melbourne, but he says, I will give you one bit of advice. He says, when you go there, he says, find out who's who in the zoo in your area and just go and talk to them. And if they nice. do let you in to talk to them at the end, say to them, thank you very much. Who should I talk to next? And it was gold advice, right? Solid. Who should I talk to next? Because people, once they've talked to you, they'll open the door for you, right? And yeah, so yeah. you ask that question, who should I talk to next? Can you introduce me to anybody? And if you don't ask, you don't get and I'm going to ruin the surprise now for you, Paul, because I might as well tell you the better the giggle, the giggle in the room. You're going to get an email from me this evening. Who shall I talk to next? You know, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Paul, thank you so much, mate. Have a great day. I really appreciate all the effort. And it was awesome. And people are going to get gold over this interview. And I'm going to share it everywhere I can. So thanks a million again. And hopefully we'll see each other again soon.